God tells us what he wants. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then this one he gets a little wordy. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that in your, is in your neighbor's, including a partridge in a pear tree, right? <laughs> Front to back, don't covet anything. You may be seated. Thanks for uh, being with us today. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're in a sermon series called Exodus. Um, we're in the process of getting our projector rebuilt. It'll be back to us one day. Uh, story of Exodus, and, and as we've said, this is really a long story arc, okay? Uh, this, is, this is an important story arc, and we'll refer to this again here in just a minute, if I remember to. Um, but what you're, some of the events that you're seeing unfold right now uh, in the nation of Israel um, have their beginnings uh, in this story arc of God taking his people to this land uh, because he promised it to them. That's why we call it, there you go, I heard somebody say it, the promised land. This is the promised land. God promised this to his people. And so what happens is uh, the nation of Israel didn't, didn't start out as a nation. It started out as a family, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then uh, their family winds up in Egypt that's where you get the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors and his brothers, you know, they get jealous and they throw him in a pit and they argue over whether or not to murder him or to sell him off as a slave. And they're so kind and so generous. They sell him off as a slave. So the whole family eventually winds up in Egypt. Well, they slowly over generations become slaves in Egypt and God sets them free and brings them back to the promised land. And so that's this story arc. And it is a long story arc. Uh, didn't have to be that long. See if you can identify with this idea. Um, their story, this journey should have taken about two weeks and instead it took 40 years. Anybody ever traveled with toddlers? <laughs> right. What do you do when everybody in your group is acting like a toddler? Right? What, what do you do when we're all, we're just being disobedient and cantankerous and ornery and all of those things? Well, that's their story. I was talking with Rodney a few minutes ago, Rodney Kenner, um, just about the story of the golden calf, right? Because that's what we're going to talk about next week. And just how you see kind of this, this, this apex of their rebelliousness. And we scratch our heads and we go, why in the world would they, after God had been so good to them, why would they act this way? But you and I do it, don't we? Yes, we do. I'll admit it for you. You won't admit it in church, so I'll admit it for both of us. We do it too. We don't respond to God's goodness. We don't respond to God's faithfulness. We have rebellious hearts. We really do. And the, the crazy thing about our, our rebellion and our, our, our um, self-centeredness is that it's such a deep part of who we are that so often we don't realize we're doing it, which again is something that we'll unpack next week. So this is part nine uh, of this journey. Uh, we're, we're calling this one, and this is at the top of your notes. If you got a note sheet, this is the sermon title, Leaving Conflict Through Justice. So again, just quickly to revisit the principle here is that God didn't just set them free to go, just go do what you want to do. You're not going to be slaves in Egypt any longer. I'm going to set you free. Go live the way you want to live. Hey, listen, follow your heart. Which can be really horrible advice. You know why? Because you have a dark heart. And I have a dark heart. 
This is why we need God, right? So don't, don't follow your heart and don't follow your nose. Follow God. And God doesn't, doesn't just set us free to do what we want to do. God sets, set them free so that they would be free to serve him. And this is what God does. He sets us free to serve him. We always leave from something, but we go towards something. Uh, we're, we're called towards things. We're not just called away from things. And so that, that's our sermon title, Leaving Conflict Through Justice. When we have conflict, right, interpersonal conflict, which really the, the, the last six commandments are about how we relate to each other. And again, we're going to talk about this. You got to see the story. You got to see what God's doing here. He is preparing a society. He called them out of Egypt and he is taking them to a land. He's leading them to a land where they get to be their own country. And so he's going to give them some ground rules, which is really what the Ten Commandments are. And so if we're going to leave interpersonal conflict, we're going to leave it through justice. Everybody say justice with me. Justice. We talked about this last week. When we talk about justice around here, it's actually really one of the things that we want for you is that you would be a faithful neighbor. You'd be a faithful neighbor to all those around you. I don't mean literally the people you live next to, although that's a pretty good place to start, but also the people that you live with and the people that you work with and like just across the board, we want you to live with faithfulness towards those around you. And if you're going to live with faithfulness, you're going to live with justice. But I don't mean that in some watered down sense or some hijacked sense of, of how our culture, you know, hijacks words and uses them for different meanings. No, this is a, there's a theological idea behind justice and it is righteousness. And when God deals with us in his righteousness, please hear this. He always does what's best for us. Now, let me ask you this. When God does what's best for you in your life, how many of you, there are times when you don't like what God does when he does what's best for you? I'm asking for hands on this one. Yes, there you go. Just look around the room. This is our experience, right? When God does what's best for us, sometimes we don't like it, and other times we love it. This is, this is agape love. Agape love means we purpose the good of those that we love. And that's really what justice is. So when we talk about justice, this is what we're talking about. God's design is that you and I would do what's best for our neighbor. And sometimes they'll like it and sometimes they won't like it. But we listen, please hear this. We don't judge whether or not we're being faithful to our neighbors by how they feel about it. You feel that? The point of righteousness, the point of justice is that it belongs to God. And so the only way we can discern whether or not we're being faithfully righteous towards our neighbors is to go to God and go to God's word and ask him, am I being faithful to your definition of justice because you're the only one that gets to define it? The bottom line is this. This is what I think is fascinating about Ten Commandments. And many of you know this, right? The first four commandments are about how we relate to God. And then the last six commandments are about how we relate to each other. I love this idea that you really can't separate our vertical relationship from our horizontal relationships. You really can't separate the two. You, it, it, it can't be done. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 22, he talks about uh, two great commandments, right? He tells us these two great commandments. 
You shall love the Lord your God, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. this is in your notes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. Well, he's summarizing the Ten Commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The second great commandment is like the first great commandment. So listen, obedience to the first great commandment must be reflected in obedience to the second one. And it's how we treat each other. And a good rule of thumb is you should treat each other the way you want to be treated. And I think along, uh, just across the board, when you look at these final six commandments, even if like you're not a church person, right? But if you look at these commandments that we've read, even the last three, right? If somebody did that to you, there's something in you that would say, you may not say it out loud, you may just say it to yourself, or you might say it out loud. You would say, that's not fair. <clears throat> kind of feels like we're quoting C.S. Lewis, doesn't it? And this is one of his arguments in Mere Christianity. That's not right. Well, wait a second. Based on what? We say we don't believe in God, and yet there's something inherent inside of us that knows that there's fairness and not fairness, there's rightness and not rightness. And along the way, we'll see as we read these Ten Commandments, these are exactly the things that we don't want people to do to us. Therefore, we shouldn't do it to them. And in fact, again, zoom out and see the bigger picture. If you were going to design a society from the ground up, I bet you'd come up with some of these rules yourselves, wouldn't you? Listen, guys, going in, there are some things we're not going to do. So generally speaking, this sounds like the way we run our houses, doesn't it? We have these little people who come to live with us. <laughs> there are some things that we do and there are some things that we don't do. There are just things that we do. Somebody asked me last week, I was at this, uh, we were at a meeting, and there was this discipleship panel where they were asking us to tell us their, uh, you know, about, talk about discipleship and what's your experience been. And we talked about the idea of culture, like the culture of your uh, community, the culture of your church, the culture of your family. What does culture look like? And I said, one of the best ways I can think of it is my boys both know that when their mama comes in, like comes in the driveway and parks, and she's been to the grocery store, Everybody gets up, everybody goes outside, and everybody grabs grocery bags and carries them in. We don't even talk about it. That's just what we do. Why? Because it's a culture. It's a culture thing. You could point to a hundred things just like that. In fact, I would say, me and my boys, we try to get all the groceries in one trip, don't we? <laughs> Come on. You got them down here, and you've got some hanging off your back pocket, right? But this is, this is what we do. This is our culture. There are things that we do. That's what God is doing here with these Ten Commandments. God, this is so big. God was not primarily trying to build a religion. That's what we think. He wasn't primarily trying to build a religion. He was building a society of people who would belong to him and who would then reflect him to the other societies around him. His goal was not just that they would fight with everybody all the time. But that they would reflect, and as we're seeing, a lot of times they don't have any choice over whether or not who they're fighting with and who attacks them, right? But his goal with the nation of Israel was that they would be a shining beacon so that other nations could see what it looks like to walk with God and to follow God. 
So the last three commandments, we've really unpacked all ten through this lens. Uh, and if you want to go back and see some of the others, if you're watching online and you want to go back and see, uh, this is kind of the, the third sermon, little mini-series in this bigger series where we're talking about the Ten Commandments. We've talked about what God calls us to. God calls us to some things. God, God calls us towards some things. And I could tell you this, and, and many of you could tell similar stories, and, and you would if I gave you the chance. When, when God has a calling on your life for something, that's how you know you're living with purpose, that's not how you know that you're living towards something. You feel like you're moving towards something. You're, you're, you don't feel restless or aimless. Well, God is calling you to some things. God's calling us to some things. This is uh, commandment number eight. We are called to honesty. Why? Because verse 15 says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Isn't it interesting that in this list of 10 things we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, that an offense against our property is put alongside offenses against life and marriage and truth. Tim, can you explain that? No, not really. Don't totally understand it. Other than if you're trying to build a society and you want the people in the society to be somewhat unified... This is probably a pretty safe place to start, isn't it? Because if you're my neighbor and I find you stealing things from me, we're not going to be very good neighbors, are we? Don't steal. The Hebrew word, not surprisingly, literally means to carry something away. To carry something away. Running off with something that belongs to someone else without their consent. I gave, the, gave you this in your notes and I put it on the slides up here. Uh, it could involve taking a person's goods, and I gave you a lot of verses here. You can go read these on your own. It could involve taking a person's goods, obviously. It could involve taking animals, which may not sound like a big deal to us, uh, but in an agrarian society, this would have been taking food from someone, and animals were valuable. It involved taking animals. It could include kidnapping, all right? Interestingly, the Torah required the thief to return double the amount that was stolen. So in other words, if I stole $70 from you, I think I'm $70 ahead. Not only do I have to give you the $70 back, I have to give you another $70. I, I actually lost the amount that I thought I was going to gain. Isn't that interesting math? That's how God works. This is a system Ironically, the criminal would lose the exact sum that he had hoped to gain. What I find interesting about this is that there's no direct object. What does that mean? It doesn't tell us what to not steal. You see this a couple of times in the commandments. It just, it kind of stops. Just don't steal. Well, wait, don't steal what? Just don't steal. Just don't steal things and don't steal people. You can steal a lot of things from each other. It's not a good idea. Why? Because stealing from others, please hear this, stealing from others is a threat to our society. It's going to breed distrust and it's going to breed strife. So we're called to honesty. We're also called to integrity. Look with me in verse 16. This is an interesting one. We're called to integrity. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What in the world does that mean? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, as you see, it began as something and then it kind of evolved or expanded into something else. I put all of this in your notes. 
Uh, this began as integrity in the legal realm, and I'll tell you why. Because the language that's used here really is descriptive of a formal court hearing. Don't stand up and give a false witness. Don't be a false witness, right? Why? Listen. Because they didn't have security cameras. They didn't have ring doorbells. Witnesses were all they had. So we had to take it very seriously. And if you're going to stand up in court and accuse someone else, you better be sure you know what you're talking about. If you're going to bear witness against someone, you better be sure you know what you're talking about. And if we, listen, we're building a society. If we have a rash, an outbreak of people bearing false witness against each other in court, and we all figure out that's what's happening, how much trust do we now have in the court system? How much trust do we now have in each other? Doesn't sound like the type of society I want to live in. What about you? See, God knows what he's doing. It was integrity in the legal realm. Interestingly, again, just some points that you can look up later. You've got verses there. The Torah required two or more witnesses for evidence. At least two or more. Also in capital punishment, check this out. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against, to put, against him to put him to death. Well, now I think maybe I would take it more seriously that I was bearing witness against someone that we know that the punishment's going to be capital punishment, right? Yes. We should take it that seriously. If the accusation was false, the accuser would bear the punishment that the accused would have borne. Wait a second. Explain that. Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. If you make a false accusation against someone and, they, and, and the society figures out, it comes out that you did that, you get their punishment. You think that might change false accusations? You think it might change frivolous lawsuits? I think it might. Interesting how forward-thinking God was even then. It started as a legal thing. This was in the legal realm. But it naturally expanded into integrity in the social realm. Why? Check it out. How cool is this? Because if, if I know that my calling is to not bear false witness against you, then I'm going to come to believe that part of my calling in our society is not just to protect me, but it's also to protect you. What kind of society would we live in if everyone had that posture? And of course, if I believe that it's not just my calling to not say anything horribly wrong and inappropriate and, and, and inaccurate against another person, you know, in a legal setting... Hopefully the spirit of that law is then going to inspire me that I actually just need to protect them in general. I need to protect them in general. I need to make sure that I'm watching out for this other person as well. The intention of the statute, listen, was to protect their name. And we've unpacked this a few times. When God said, remember at the beginning of this sermon series, God unpacked that he's Yahweh. This was kind of the, the, the first full revelation of this in the burning bush. That God was Yahweh. In the nation of Israel, they took names very seriously. 
Your name was a representation of who you are. So of course I would want to help you protect that. This is not just a legal thing. This is not just a what can I get away with thing. So of course it echoed beyond the courtroom. It echoed beyond legal proceedings. And it became, how about we just don't lie about each other? Hey, how about we just don't gossip about each other? I got one amen. <laughs> right? Oh, I, yeah, I think I could draw a line from this commandment to gossip. Yes, you sure could. And slander. Not bearing false witness against each other. So we should not only speak falsely, not, we should not only not speak falsely trying to deceive our neighbor, we also shouldn't speak falsely about our neighbor. We shouldn't gossip. We shouldn't slander. How about this? We shouldn't give unwarranted flattery. We shouldn't try to butter each other up. Why? Because it's a form of manipulation. Let's just speak the truth to each other. I love this quote. This is from Peter Enns. I gave you this. Just, I, I tried to cut it out. It's such a fantastic quote. I just couldn't cut it out. God is preparing his people not just to be nice to each other. Isn't that great? God's preparing his people not just to be nice to each other. He is training them to be his people in Canaan, to be order amid chaos. Listen, time out, stop. I want you to think about everything that you've seen on the news over the last two weeks. And now I want you to hear the echoes down through history of what God was calling his people to. He is training them to be his people in Canaan, to be order amid chaos, to be a holy people and a kingdom of priests, so that by looking at them, the nations will come to know the true God. You know what the fun part of that is? You and I got the chance to be grafted in, not being Jewish. It's not just about Judaism. It's Christianity. We get the chance to be grafted into that same tree that God's growing. We get the chance to also be God's people, to be a shining light wherever we live. Listen, not a shining light of getting it right. Not a shining light of never making mistakes. And, and could I just say this to you? Like if you're not sure about the church thing, right, and you just are here, if you think that Christianity is about always getting it right and just being a good person, man, not true. I was going to say look around the room, but that wouldn't have sounded very nice, right? <laughs> like, how many of us in here are a hot mess? Yeah. We read this story and we think, how did they get it so wrong? But we do too. The story of Christianity is not that we get it right. That we're forgiven. We get to be set free by a God who has no reason to love us. But he loves us anyway. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. And I am here for it. What an incredible opportunity that God gives us. So we're called to integrity, we're called to honesty. And then the third one, commandment number 10. Interestingly, we are called to, what does the word say? Contentment. Where did that come from? That doesn't sound nearly as important as the others. 
Then it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house and wife and male servant and female servant, ox, donkey, and lions and tigers and bears and whatever. However the story goes, right? It's just a long list. Here are all the things you shouldn't covet. Please hear this. Maybe you've never thought about this before. This is actually a summary commandment. This is a summary commandment. That's why it sounds a little different than the others. This is a summary commandment. Listen, not dealing with our actions and not dealing with our words. This is actually dealing with our thoughts and with our heart. And could I just say to you, that's how you should think of your faith. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, that's exactly how you should think of your faith. This is not primarily about our words and our actions, although, hear me very clearly, I'm not saying those things don't matter. But if we're always dealing on that surface level of words and thoughts, words and thoughts, I need to change my words, I need to change my thoughts, I need to change my words, I need to change my thoughts, then Christianity becomes behavior modification. And then it's just a question of who has the most discipline. Does anybody in the room not have as much discipline as you wish you had? Yeah, a bunch of us, right? That's not how God deals with us. What does he go after? Our thoughts and our heart. Our thoughts and our heart. You know why? Because brilliantly, he knows that our words and our actions come out of our thoughts and our heart. He's going to the root of the tree. And so this is why we wind up with this one as la the last commandment. We are called to contentment. Why? Because a lack of contentment will so often get us in trouble. James 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That word picture there of being lured, it's, it actually is exactly what it sounds like if you're a fisherman, right? How do I get the hook and how do I cover it so no, nobody can tell what it is? Let me just throw it out there and see what happens. Well, that doesn't sound fair. Right, that's what your lack of contentment is doing. That's what my lack of contentment is doing. We are tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. What are you saying, Tim? I think it's not hard to make the argument that the lack of contentment that we have when we break the 10th commandment will lead to many of, if not all, of the other commandments being broken. If you broke one of the others, I'd be willing to bet you that if we dig enough, we'll find a lack of contentment at the root of that sin. We just need more, 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 more. Newer, better, faster. I'm here, but I think it's better over there. What does that look like? Different in your life and my life, but a lack of contentment will really get us in trouble. You remember the story of King David? He's an amazing king. Second Samuel 11 and 12. Things were going great. I mean, he's the pinnacle of the, of the monarchy of Israel. And then one night he's on his roof. And he sees a woman bathing. Yeah, I mean, probably you know the story. I know the story, right? And so he follows his lust. He follows that hook. He follows that desire. Has her brought to him. She becomes pregnant. He's committed adultery. Her husband was in the army. He sends the husband out, gets him killed, trying to cover up his sin, sin upon sin upon sin. Listen, look at me. He violated the 10th commandment before he violated numbers 6 and 7. 
Lack of contentment. A lack of trusting God. Listen, you don't have to jockey for the next best thing. Can you trust your heavenly Father that in the right time and in the right way, He's going to bring it? Ooh. And can you trust that when He brings the right thing to you in the right time, it will be so much more enjoyable than if you manipulate and try to go get it yourself? I'm speaking from experience. Trusting God, having that contentment which is based in trust. When we covet, we have an inordinate, ungoverned, hear this, selfish desire for something. That's literally the root of the Hebrew word that's used here. By the way, it's the same word that's used in Genesis 3.6 when Eve desired the fruit. That's kind of how we got in this mess, right? Was Eve desiring the fruit. Listen, it was not just desire. It was desire that was unchecked. As I get older, I hope I'm growing more mature. Maybe we should ask my wife. She might tell a different story. I hope I'm growing more mature as I get older, but I tell you what I'm also noticing as I get older. I'm noticing more and more the importance of being able to tell myself no. That is no fun. It is no fun because usually whatever it is I want to do is fun. (laughs) It would taste good. And yet, isn't it true that a growth in maturity is telling myself no? Isn't it true that real maturity is about delayed gratification? Trusting that God knows what's best. Trusting that God knows what's ahead and that actually God's in charge of what's ahead. God's sovereign over what's ahead and He loves me. He wants what's best for me. Eve's sin simultaneously was eating the fruit, but also an unchecked craving for it. She had a craving that she didn't address. She didn't tell herself no. And before you and I throw rocks at her, we are right there with her, aren't we? We don't tell ourselves no. We are remarkably inept. This is the fascinating thing about contentment in this context. We're remarkably inept at discerning intent. Remember the two levels we just talked about? You have words and actions, then you have your thoughts in your heart. We can discern words and actions, why? Because we can see and we can hear. But we are remarkably inept at discerning intent. I say this all the time to others, I say it all the time to myself. You don't get to attribute intent to people. I don't know what was in their heart when they said that. I don't know what was in their heart when they did that. I just know what they said or did. You kind of have to put a question mark under intent. You know who doesn't have to put a question mark under intent? God. And could I just say this to you? Often. You'll have to put a question mark under your own intent. You don't always realize why you're doing the things that you're doing. So what do we do about it? Well, we're remarkably inept at discerning intent. That's others and our own. But God is perfect at it, and He wants to teach us to police our own. Not to police others, but to police our own. We need to get down to that level of intent. Listen. Which is exactly why the Tenth Commandment exists. Don't covet. I love the West Wing. Such a great show. I don't know if you watched it. 
It's one of my favorite shows. And there's a storyline, and you got to remember this was uh, probably 20 years ago that the show was on. There's a storyline in the show, which often reflected actual reality at the time. Uh, there's a storyline about uh, a judge in the South who wanted to put the Ten Commandments, and they wanted to base all their laws in that community on the Ten Commandments. And of course, in the show, they're laughing about it. Well, how? And this is the one that they talk about. Well, it says not to covet anything. How do you enforce that? And I always chuckle when I hear that because I think, well, humans can't. But these laws didn't come from humans. They came from God. And God actually, if we'll all police our own yard, right? If we'll all decide, I'm going to focus on me, and I'm going to focus not just on my words and my uh, actions. I'm going to focus on my intent. I'm going to focus on being content. The problem, for instance, with stealing is not just taking other people's things. The problem actually is wanting other people's things. I just think that you had that, but I deserve it. So I'm just going to take it. It's a dangerous idea. And here's what I think is fascinating. As blessed as we are as a nation, and we are blessed, as great of a country as America is, and it is a great country, and I've traveled all over the world, and I'm always happy to come back home. I think I could live wherever God called me to live, wherever that may be, but I like living here. It's a pretty fantastic place. But do you know what one of the biggest problems that we have? See, blessing's a double-edged sword. Almost everything has a dark side, right? What's the dark side of blessing? Well, it's entitlement. And most importantly, it's a lack of contentment. And I want you to hear this from your pastor's heart. I think this may be one of the most significant things that we don't talk about. And the older that I get and the longer that I do this, the more that I believe this is one of the chief enemies of your soul in this culture. It's a lack of contentment. I don't think there's anything particularly evil about America. I think this is a human problem. Can you prove that? Yeah, Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. What a great way to start, right? Hey, what if between now and next Sunday morning, every time you felt a lack of contentment and urge to go have something or take something or do something that you don't have any business taking or doing or buying, right? What if instead you thought to yourself, well, I've got food to eat and I've got clothes to wear. I'm good. I bet you'd have a different week. I bet I would too. If we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into, what's the word? Snare. They swallow the hook. Into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's not the riches or or the material things that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's the desire for it. We live for it. We chase after it. Then this verse makes sense. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evil. Money's not the root of evil. But love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Why? It makes us do dumb things. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It was as much of a problem back then as it is for us now. Which is why Paul wrote these words. Find contentment. 
How do we find contentment? Only in God. Only in God. It's the only place we can find contentment. See, Christianity, listen, and the Judaism that birthed it, both are not primarily religions about behavior. At their core, they're religions about our hearts. What I love about this is that ultimately, Christ did what the law could not do. And he did what you trying to keep the law could never do. He saved you. You can't save yourself. You can't keep the law perfectly. It's actually really discouraging to even try, isn't it? God himself made it possible that we could be forgiven. It's not about the law, and it's not about our behavior, which is why Paul wrote these words in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, the law wasn't cursed. The law was good. But the curse of the law is that if this is the standard that it takes to have a relationship with God, we're all hopeless. We can't get there. Why? Well, I'm pretty sure everyone in here has coveted something probably in the last week. Certainly in your life. We break these commandments. We really, really do. So how do we figure out how to move forward? Well, it's not through good behavior. I'm not saying behavior is not important. But that's not where we hang our hope. Where do we hang our hope? Is that as cursed as we feel by our lack of ability to keep the law, Jesus actually came and lived a perfect life and gave himself on the cross not for his own sins, but for yours and for mine. That's why it says he became a curse for us. And when he took our sin on him, we got the chance, if we respond in faith to his sacrifice, check this out, we get the chance to exchange our sin for his righteousness. But I'm not righteous. And you're not righteous. Right. That's why it's an amazing deal. What an incredible opportunity that you and I get to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now that he's set us free, now that God has already called us his, he sets us free not to do what we want to do, but to love him and to serve him the way that we were originally designed to. What does that look like? Well, it starts with the Ten Commandments. This was God's original design for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for how good you are for us, for how much you love us. We definitely don't deserve your grace and your goodness. And even as we read these commandments, even as we look at these last ones, especially, I mean, not coveting, God, we're, we're so guilty even as we think about that. And yet your goodness runs after us. Your goodness pursues us. And so as we've responded, for any of us in here, for many of us in here who have responded to this opportunity you've given us to put our faith in Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, we now get the opportunity to live lives that are pleasing to you. Not because you'll love us more. You already love us more than we could ever understand. We want to live out of that love. We want to return that love to you by restoring and returning to your original design for us. So God, we pray for our words and our deeds, but also for our thoughts and for our hearts. God, that you would give us the opportunity to live 
lives that honor you, to live lives that please you. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the cross.